Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time of day or night you're listening to this. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagan. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Good afternoon. We're sweating it out in America, let me tell you. Truly. I mean, sweating it out because we are in the thick of summer and I'm personally sweating it out because there's a morning of breaking big news for me over here. Um, we have some some Michael Cohen news, and uh, we are recording this on Thursday, I guess, afternoon for you, still late morning for me here in Los Angeles. And uh, we have just, I have just listened into a uh, court hearing for Michael Cohen, who was the president's former attorney, longtime fixer, um, one time friend who once told me he would take a bullet for the president. Um, this morning, it seemed like he was sort of dodging a bullet. Uh, we know that that two weeks ago, he was taken back to federal prison in Otisville uh, after he had been released on furlough uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic. And what happened two weeks ago was crazy. What happened this morning was even crazier. Can I just tell you about it? Can I run you through what happened? Bring me right up to speed. Okay. And, and and remind me if you can, because I think a lot of people forget, why was he in prison? And give us a little Great like a question. quick narrative arc. I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you um, a, a brief narration. So Michael Cohen, the Ray Donovan of, of Tr- Trump org. Um, mm. as he once told me, the more handsome Ray Donovan, Trump Park, uh, was taken, uh, was, um, he had paid off a porn star in the run-up to the presidential election, I believe 11 or eight days before Donald Trump was elected president, in order to keep her silent about allegations that he had, and she had an affair with the president. Now, the president has denied any wrongdoing. Uh, Michael Cohen has since testified under oath in Congress and um, in a courtroom that he had made these payments to Stormy Daniels at the request of President Trump. So he was not out of his own volition deciding to randomly pay off some woman. Uh, This was at the direction of the President of the United States. So after he made these payments, um, Law enforcement officials started looking into whether or not he had violated uh, FEC guidelines in, in making those payments to Stormy Daniels. Um, campaign funds. Campaign finance He's- violations. So uh, improperly making an election expenditure uh, in the run-up to a presidential election. Um, and in addition to the the campaign finance-related charges, he was also under investigation for tax evasion and for bank fraud. Um, two summers ago, Cohen pleaded guilty to these counts. Um, a few months after that, he was sentenced to 36 months in federal prison. And um, in May of 2019, he reported to Otisville to serve out his three years in prison. Uh, his relationship obviously had soured with President Trump throughout that whole process. Uh, It got messy, and the president obviously turned his back on him. Cohen turned his back on his president. Cohen testified under oath that the president had made incredibly racist remarks, that he was a cheat, that he was a liar. 
uh, he went to prison and started working on a book. So a year into his prison term, the coronavirus pandemic hits. The Bureau of Prisons starts letting out inmates across the country as sort of a compassionate release during a pandemic because, as we know, the pandemic has been widely affecting inmates and prisons across the country. Uh, Cohen has some underlying health concerns, and that's why he was released from Otisville. Uh, he was... He had been allowed to serve the remainder of his 30 months, uh, 36 months uh, in his home, which, funnily enough, happens to be a Trump-owned building on Park Avenue on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It is also the building where Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner have their New York apartment. What a weird neighborly situation that could be. <laughs> um, so, so he was out on furlough, and his uh, two weeks ago, his furlough was turning into home confinement. Now, Cohen had been sort of uh, the subject of great attention at the end of his furlough because the New York Post, bless them, had caught Cohen out to dinner at a restaurant on the Upper East Side, very close to his New York apartment, and uh, put a photo of Cohen out to dinner on the front page of the paper saying, this doesn't really look like home confinement to me. Um, is it true that he wasn't supposed to drink alcohol either and that he, he actually abstained? So Cohen doesn't drink. Cohen's like Trump. He, he does not drink. I've, I've spent a lot mm. of time with him, uh, in the course of my reporting of his story over the last three years, four years. I don't know. Time is a flat circle to me right now. Um, I've only seen him take one sip of alcohol in that entire time. And it's something that it's just not part of his his life. Um, here's what what I know. That picture, there was a bottle of wine on the table. And from my reporting, I believe that uh, after the photo was published on the, the front of the New York, uh, New York Post, that no one from his parole or the Bureau of Prisons said to him, you can't go out to dinner. But they had him submit to a test to see if he had drunk alcohol, which would have violated the terms of his furlough. I believe he passed the test. Uh, and then days later, he had to go, his furlough was turning into home confinement. So he needed to get fitted for an ankle bracelet and he needed to agree to these terms for home confinement. And when he got to the um, the federal building, they presented him with eight terms. The first of those eight terms said, you're not permitted to publish a book. You're not permitted to speak to reporters. You're not permitted to post on social media. No one can post on your behalf. The rest of the terms were had to do with his ankle monitoring and employment and uh, whether or not he could speak to other convicted felons. Uh, the first term from every lawyer former prosecutor I've spoken to is unusual. And a judge confirmed that this morning. So the the federal judge who held this hearing this morning, uh, there was a hearing, let me back up. There was a hearing this morning because after Cohen was arrested, uh, because he, he balked to signing these unusual terms of his home confinement and he was taken into custody immediately without sort of an understanding that uh, he, if he did not agree to those terms without negotiating about them, that he would immediately be taken into custody. 
So he was taken into custody. He's been held in solitary confinement back in Otisville because Otisville's protocol during COVID is that for two weeks after you're taken into custody, you're you're kept in solitary confinement right. so as not to infect a prison population. Um, and on Monday, Cohen sued the government and in particular Attorney General William Barr um, saying that they were trying to retaliate against him for publishing a book. The ACLU joined the suit saying it was a First Amendment violation. And today was this hearing about whether or not the government had, in fact, retaliated against him. And the judge this morning found that, in fact, they had. That he kept saying, I mean, Cohen's lawyer, who's a new attorney, it's he's gone through many attorneys. Um, he hired a new one over the last um, few weeks. And his attorney barely talked because the judge just kept peppering the U.S. attorney saying, how could I not see this as retaliatory? How Walk me through how this could not be retaliation. He said that in his 21 years on the bench, he had never seen a clause like the one saying you can't write a book, you can't tweet, you can't uh, post on social media, you can't talk to reporters. He, he said, obviously, if Cohen were to invite 20 reporters to his apartment and hold a press conference, that would be unusual because you would not have that ability to do that in prison if you were an inmate in home confinement is uh, an extension or a different way to serve out your, your prison sentence. But the act of being able to write your book or um, speak to people is not something that you can confine. And it felt very specific to Cohen considering he had publicly said he was working on a book about the president of the United States. So as of right now, Cohen is set to be released at 2 p.m. on Friday after getting a COVID test. Uh, he will quarantine at home. And then his attorneys and the government have a week to work out the first term of the home confinement, which has to do with, you know, releasing a book or tweeting, and they will come to some sort of agreement on that but he will be at home as they work that out and it seems like he will be able to work on a book publish a book the the last thing i'll say is that i think from my reporting cone was having a hard time selling his book to a publisher before this he had been uh served a cease and desist letter from charles harder which if that sounds familiar to you it's because he's a lawyer who um has represented the president a lot. He has represented a lot of people, including Hulk Hogan in the uh, Gawker lawsuit. Um, he has represented the president um, at times during the Stormy Daniels lawsuit. He is the lawyer who also threatened Mary Trump before she published her book. Now, we know that that lawsuit against Mary Trump or the threat of that lawsuit just skyrocketed Mary Trump's book. She broke all records. In the first day, she sold nearly a million copies. I think she sold 1.35 million copies in her first week. It's wild. So the attention that these lawsuits gets people has been very good to anybody who's been threatened um, by President Trump. From from my reporting, the, the talks that were sort of dead about publishing Cohen's book, he was he was going to self-publish the book before he got taken to prison, I think that they are, are resuming. It's going to help his prospects. Yes. It's going to help his prospects. Yes. Did that make so, sense? Did know, that help you, Joe? Yeah, totally. And, okay. I, and the, th the question at top of mind is this. What is it they think they're stifling 
or attempting to stifle in this book. I mean, we heard some reports that he's saying, oh, Trump has made these racist remarks. Well, that's not surprising. Well, Sexist it, remarks, totally. that's not surprising. But what, yeah, what might he, do you think there's more that Michael Cohen has up his sleeve that could make a dent in, you know, the make an impression on the electorate at this stage in the game? Well, here's what I will say. Um, and I don't, I have not read the whole book. Um, I, I would be shocked if there is so much more that we do not know from this book because Cohen has had a, a, a ton of opportunities to talk about all the things that, that he knows. I mean, I did this interview with him nearly two years ago now. Months after that, he stood in front of Congress for hours and hours testifying under oath about all of the so-called, uh, the way that Cohen describes him, the dirty deeds that the president had done, the ways in which he had inflated it. his wealth, uh, the, the, the terribly racist things that he said that the, the president had said over the years. I, and, and for dozens of hours, he has sat with investigators emptying his brain for things that he knows in order to uh, try and lessen his sentence, which, which did not happen um, at the time. And so I would be shocked if there's anything that we don't know. I feel like we sort of squeezed the juice out of the lemon. But again, Mary Trump's book sold like crazy. There's clearly an appetite for people understanding the psychology of Donald Trump. And I don't think I don't I don't think Mary's Mary Trump's book was particularly revelatory in that it it told you a completely different story about who Donald Trump is. I think it's confirming the story that a lot of people want to believe about him. And so I don't think they were going to Well, gonna that's get, true. And, yeah. and I would also say that, you know, we just reviewed the Michael Cohen story. You yes. know, I'd, I'd forgotten a lot of it because we've had a mile a minute, you know, Trump news cycles are like, you know, a hurricane a day and you forget what happened, you know, four days ago, let alone four months ago, sure. five months ago. In a way, for him to publish the whole sordid story again brings it back to top of mind uh, at a time when people are reviewing the incumbent. And that particular episode, which was really one of the, you know, it was a long time ago, um, really riveted, you know, the nation's attention at the time. You had the Michael Avenatti aspect. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, kind of slimy super lawyer uh, who wanted to be a presidential <laughs> Uh, candidate at one Can time, you, imagine? Um, you know, in this whole sordid tale of Stormy Daniels and the payoffs, and this is the kind of character that we know he has, but, you know, it, we're going to be doing a review as we head into the election. And this is like Michael Cohen's book is a review of a crucial chapter. You know, it's funny because you're totally right. And, uh, you know, the president was was an unindicted co-conspirator, according to the Southern District of New York, which is part of his federal government, in, in a case that involved paying off a porn star leading up to the presidential election. That's a wild thing. But not only does Cohen's story being in the forefront bring to light that instance, which is, for any other candidate, would be a 17 nails in a coffin, but Cohen's story also... It brings up the Steele dossier, the Russia investigation, um, malfeasance in the Trump organization, using the position of, of power to benefit his private personal business. Um, it brings up tax issues. It brings up 
a ton of, um, and, and of course, racism and anti-Semitism. It brings up a ton of different issues. It's sort of like the the greatest hits of the worst hits of Donald Trump over the last four years. And a reminder years. of, you know, yeah, and a reminder of uh, just the mobster element. Totally. That Trump has turned the government into. I mean, you know, having the uh, uh, w- William Barr uh, send in troops into major cities um, in what looks like a bald and shameless attempt to gin up some sort of like uh, law and order crime footage. Let's talk about this. Presidential what? campaign. What? It's so mobby. It's so mobby. It just feels so obviously political to me that I can't I can't imagine this helps anything for him I mean his base is shored up why are you making these base plays these are not smart sophisticated political decisions and they look like they're not smart sophisticated political decisions obviously from a a moral level Everything that is coming out of this administration is reprehensible. But even from a political level, this just like you see the seams here. Yeah, and there's a uh, there was a uh, a Twitter influencer who posted. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. He doesn't need more oxygen. Uh, who's a Trump a Trump uh, you know pro Trump guy? And he posts this video of all this violence in the street, and he says this is going to be the future. This is Joe Biden's America. Is this what you want, right? And the gaslighting there is sort of uh, unbelievable because actually that's Trump's America currently. And he's saying this is what Joe Biden's world is going to look like. They, you know, Trump's, this is the campaign idea. It's law and order. He's defaulting to this thing that worked for him. And, you know, you talk about greatest hits. This is a worn out uh, track on Trump's greatest hits. And he doesn't realize that nobody wants to hear it again. Well, Part of me feels like, well, there there are 38 to 44 percent of the country does does want to hear his greatest hits. It's like I, I saw someone on Twitter once say something that I think about all the time, that uh, the president is sort of like Rod Stewart and Rod Stewart can make all the music he wants. He can record all the albums he wants. But when he goes to concert, he knows that everyone wants to hear Maggie Mae. Right. And so I feel like he the the president just keeps repeating the same themes that worked for his base because the base just wants to hear the stuff that they were thirsty for in 2016. And so I get why he is sort of repeating what he knows worked for him. But the map does not look good for him now. There are bigger problems in this country than build the wall. No one has an appetite for that. The The jobs numbers are going to be terrible come November. They can't pass another uh, bill through Congress that will support the American economy and the American workers. They're, they're having a huge, difficult struggle in Congress right now passing this before August. And we're not sure if schools are going to open. We're not sure if anyone's going to be able to work fully because our kids are going to be home or Zooming or going to school halftime, everyone is terrified here in California that we're going to enter another shutdown. And I think that we should because the numbers are God awful. And so 
this these Warnop tropes for 2016 feel like they feel like hearing Maggie May in 2020, where it's like, okay, I'm sort of happy to hear that song. I like that song, but we're way, way, way past that, and we have newer things that are that are more important to us right now. And it just feels like totally out of touch and not the thing to focus on at this given moment. This is Inside the Hive. Let's talk about the real human actual effect of all of this cynical posturing about law and order. The mayor of Portland, Oregon, just got tear gassed out in the streets. And what's really fascinating to me is it's, uh, you know, somehow they think, well, we've done it in Portland. Let's take this on the road to a bunch of other cities. But it's failing miserably in Portland because this wall of moms that we keep reading about, this wall of moms. Can you explain? That is just not explain, going to play. <laughs> explain the wall of moms in case people haven't seen it. Well, you know, the, the streets, uh, the protests taking place, protests uh, against this incursion by these kind of, um, in, in, I don't know what they are, some sort of paramilitary group that doesn't have insignias. And uh, what you read in the news is that they threw some people into unmarked vans and drove away and released them later. I mean, it just seems like some kind of uh, fascist police state thing. And so it's easy to frame that way. But out on the streets, who they're tear gassing, who they're fighting are these protesters who are made up of moms, and they're calling it the wall of moms and they're out on the street. And when you see them getting tear gassed, I don't think that's the campaign ad that is going to work for Donald Trump. In fact, I see it as a kind of brilliant, um, you know, protest concept, because if the moms uh, who care about change uh, band together under that umbrella, I don't think Trump can advance what i think really is more of an agenda to uh, have cops clashing with black and brown people. Mm. I mean, that's what he wants. He wants a race war. Totally. And this wall of moms is a little bit of like a um, masterstroke in denying him uh, the visuals that he would like to use for a Trump campaign ad that are around law and order. It is fucking brilliant because you are totally right. A a race war wins for Trump. A war against women makes him lose. Trump has a woman problem. He's had a woman problem since 2016. His woman problem got way worse in 2018. And if he loses more women in 2020, he's not going to win this election. The The battle over suburban women is where this race comes down to. And, and, and I, this moment, if it continues to play out and if the strategy continues to be executed the way it's been executed it's going to be a problem for the president and they have no way of speaking to women they have not in in four years learned anything and i think that it's been such a cumulative effect you've had obviously so many people were hurt and disappointed when they're when Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 it was the the first real shot of having a woman in office um and she was defeated in such a surprising and, and I think wounding way for many people. And you had the women's march and the pussy hats and that feeling that was so palpable after the 2016 election. And then you had Christine Blasey Ford and the Kavanaugh hearings leading up to the midterm election. You saw a swell 
of women, particularly minority women, women of color voting in the 2018 midterm elections. And that resulted in so many women being elected to uh, Congress. And uh, you, in the midst of all this, you have the Stormy Daniels stuff. You have the women who have credibly accused the president of sexual assault. You have the whole Michael Cohen thing, which brought the Stormy Daniels story into everyone's living rooms every day for, for months on end. And now you have this. You have the pandemic. You have schools. You have Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, who has just said um, earlier this month that she is once again, battling cancer. And I think all of those things combined has been a steady drumbeat saying, women, you need to do something. You need to vote, activate. And and they've answered the call. And I think that if this continues throughout the, the rest of the summer and into the fall, you could be looking at a very different situation for, for the president. Well, that's right. And the women in the middle who could go either way, the independent women, let's say, suburban women. You know, the video that Trump wants to present to them is young, uh, you know, quote unquote, urban city p- combat with, with uh, you know, camouflaged police and show chaos in the cities. I'm bringing law and order. This is not going to bleed into the suburbs, right? And... When the wall of moms comes out, it completely inoculates that uh, against that image. Mm. And I think also they're going to relate to that Mm. on some level. I don't want to see moms getting tear gassed in the street by these. Who are these guys and why are they there? Oh, William Barr sent them. Why? Right. I mean, on the other side, I watch Fox News occasionally to see what's going on. And, you know, they take the little sliver uh, of the video in which you see some rando teenagers smashing a wall or something, and they just play it on rotation, sure. right? So they're looking for those video clips. They're looking for those video clips. Now, let's talk about this really quick. I just did some uh, number crunching here. It's been 130-odd days since we got into quarantine no. and this pandemic began. That feels both too long and too short, and- but go on. Exactly. It really does. But you know what? It's longer than we have days until the election. Wow. Just to give you a little feel, right? We have less time until the election, 102 days from the time I'm recording right now. And, you know, even even in Trump news cycle terms, that's not a lot of time to turn around these polls, which are absorbing the reality of what is happening and what has happened to us as a nation. People don't want this to go on. They want their jobs back. They don't want to be sick. They don't want to live in a country where every time they turn on the TV, and I mean even Republicans, I mean even people who are given to like the GOP, they don't want to wake up every day to this, just everybody's heads on fire. And I feel like it's going to be, uh, even if Trump goes into this law and order thing and tries to show that there's more chaos in America, that's going to blow back on him too. Because yes, if there's, you're showing people getting beaten on the streets by these camouflaged feds, you're not helping your cause on some level. I mean, that's where I feel like they're in a conundrum here. And I'm not trying to supply more optimism than there should be about this. We should need, you know, the people need to stay vigilant about 
voting and, and realize that we're on the knife's edge here. But uh, I don't think I think Trump is uh, he's running out of bullets, man. Well, what's really interesting to me, I I totally agree with what you're saying. And and what you're saying about chaos reminded me about something I've been talking about in my house a lot. Um, I think that bef- it, it, take out the pandemic. If this were a normal summer leading up to the election, all of the things that, that people would have taken issue with about the Trump administration or many of the things would have to do with empathy. Children being put in cages, a an immigration ban, um, maybe some stuff related to race and policing would have would have bubbled up. But a, a lot of the stuff that that Democrats were feeling had to do with how how he made you feel and how his policies uh, treated people and uh, how how cynically the administration looked at this country. Uh, I don't think that Republicans respond to empathy, but they respond to chaos. And we are so descending into chaos right now that it is impossible to escape and for for so much of the trump administration it has felt chaotic and the news has been very swift and quick and so many things happen in a given day that it it often does feel chaotic but many people can remove themselves or could remove themselves from the chaos of the trump administration before all of this and they could simply say but the markets, but my portfolio, but the tax breaks. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people, particularly wealthy, privileged uh, white people in America, could turn an eye to some of the... The, the pain of the and, working class. Yes, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Because, because they weren't feeling that pain and there was an empathy gap there. You cannot be an American right now and turn your eye to any of the chaos that's happening because it is affecting every single segment of the population. Anyone who has a kid is going to be impacted by this, right? Even private schools. I mean, especially private schools. Um, you know, they, they're, people are paying tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars to not send their kids to school. It's a wild thing. Uh, if you have public school kids, you are dealing with whether your kids are going to be able to remote learn or how they're going to socialize with other kids. Um, every segment of the po- of the economy is shut down. And so I think that you just can't avoid the chaos that the president and his lack of leadership have created. And that feeling, I think, could move the needle with, with some Republicans. And you're starting to see some Republican lawmakers um, publicly and certainly privately balk at the administration in a way that I think they've been reticent to do before now. Well, absolutely. And that's why you had this week the the um, debate inside the party over this latest stimulus uh, that they want to send out to tide over their constituents while we get through this uncertain time versus Trump's idea of a payroll tax, which is some fantasy that if, uh, you know, businesses don't pay as much tax, they'll hire more mm. into this situation? I don't think so. And of course, they are no. It's an acknowledgement, the Republicans who supported the stimulus, it's an acknowledgement that they are in trouble, mm. that they need to, you know, Ted Cruz was out there the other day. Did you see this? He says, if we do the, if we send these more checks out to these people, they're going to not work, you know, because they're going to turn lazy. And that might, you might as well be uh, putting Joe Biden's 
you know, that might, might as well be a Joe Biden campaign contribution. You know, laziness, laziness is the thing that we all need to worry about right now. That's the, the most pressing thing that's hindering our economy well, is, yeah. is laziness. Right. Which is just a kind of slap in the face uh, to the voting public that you who uh, are trying to make ends meet and wonder if your kids get to get into school, your job may be gone, your business may be gone. Uh, but, you know, if you accept this money to get through this time, Ted Cruz says you're uh, you're not trying hard enough. So I, I find it, it's despicable, and it's exactly to the empathy thing you're talking about. You know, these guys are living in some pre-quarantine, pre-pandemic concept of what they think should be happening in America right now, and it's not even connected with reality. It's crazy. So, but, you know, you've got other Republicans who are actually exposed and vulnerable to being, uh, you know, voted out of office uh, if they look like they don't care. And they're going to have to get with the program. And this is where we're seeing these fractures in the Republican Party. Can I can I just give you my completely unscientific plan for what should happen right now for coronavirus? Please. This is my I am I'm not a doctor. I am not an immunologist. I know I really know nothing. I'm gonna I'm gonna preface that. But this is what I think makes sense. I think we should go back into a shutdown until September 1st, a, a nationwide shutdown, after which masks should be federally mandated. That's my plan. I mean, it's this, really sophisticated. Uh, Emily Jane Fox for president. I'm sorry, but that's- I accept. That's what a real leader would do. Right. That's what a real leader would do. Instead of tweeting, you know, you know, I, I was just th looking this up. This has been circulating. People obviously dig up Trump tweets all day long because you can find one from the past. There's one for everything. Shows, there's one for everything. But the, you know, back in April and May, reopen the country, liberate these states. I mean, you can go back and look at this. The evidence is plain as day that he blew it, that he completely ignored what was going on, that he ignored science, that he let this thing spread out of control. He didn't help the governors. And this is not a bullet point that he can erase. He would like, you know, this law and order chaos thing to distract people. Mm. You know, distraction is all he's got. You know that this morning, and I'm, you know, speaking to our listeners here from Thursday, July 23rd, this morning he tweeted 48 times before 9 a.m. East Coast time. 48 times. I mean, he's doing anything he can to distract from the fact that he's lost complete control, has no direction, you know, no plan. And it's only to the degree to which we fall for it, right? I mean, we, we ha it's up to people who are listening and thinking about what's going to happen and to pay attention to what you already know and don't forget it. So yeah, Michael Cohen is going to come out with a book. Let's remember that. Let's put that up on the board and do the review, okay? We've got like this, you know, raving lunatic mobster doofus in the <laughs> office and do you want to keep going? Do you want to keep going with that, America? I don't think so. This is Inside the Hive. Well, Joe, you brought up um, the fact that we have so much to remember leading into the election, and that makes me think of maybe my favorite moment of the week. Actually, it was not my favorite <laughs> moment. I'll get, I'll get to my favorite moment after, so I'm going to start with the runner-up. And that was the president's interview about his mental acuity test is that what it's called that's what i'm calling it in which he yes, demonstrated he explained the test his <laughs> cognitive test in a way that 
I don't, I, that's not how explanations work. It was the most circuitous explanation for how a, a test to determine your mental fitness is actually administered. But it gave us an amazing moment in which the president acted out the, the questions that he was asked. And he said that he was able to remember, I'm reading this now because I can't remember it clearly. I wouldn't pass this test. But he said <laughs> that he was given the words person, woman, man, camera, TV. And then seconds later was able to repeat those things. Joe, is that a qualifier for for remaining president of the United States? Do you feel comfortable knowing that he passed the test that, that allowed him to remember five um, consecutive I'm words? I'm more concerned with the fact that he took a test that's meant to measure whether you have dementia. Sure. So one wonders, like, why did he take it? He didn't take it recently, I, I read. He, 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 this was a test he took a while back. So they were like, well, we better maybe, maybe after he had one of those lunatic tweeting marathons one morning, they decided, hey, why don't you take this test? I mean, this I feel like test those tests, is, you know, he's taking a corona test like every day. I feel like he should be given a, a mental fitness test at least as often as he's giving a coronavirus test. Right. Well, in some ways, uh, it's completely unsurprising, but it's sort of the last chapter in this um, campaign that failed to, you know, go head to head with Joe Biden and try to show that Joe Biden is the one with some sort of uh, cognitive failure, right? And so he's just, he's, it's almost like he set up a test uh, or a, um, a contest, and then he went out in public and kind of fell on his face and f- failed it in front of everybody by showing what uh, a kind of... Um, I don't, I'm trying to restrain myself in the words I use, but he don't just yourself, seems Joe. like a, he he he's he's just um, one of the most unserious people at the most serious time. Sure, and you just wonder like, why are we talking about this? Why are you pushing this? And it's because again, I see it as a, just another distraction that he's creating. Because that's all he's got is a series of distractions. So I never subscribe to the theory that Trump like makes these calculated distractions. I think he's just unable to stay on message and that he can't he has no self discipline or self control. So I don't I don't ever believe that he's like calculating these distractions. I think he's just a distracting individual. He's just making them. He's yes. just making them. Yes. Yeah. But but here's what I will say, and it makes no sense to me. The Biden campaign has been in a bunker, barely making any real appearances because they know their candidate. They know that they are probably better off with him being very low profile than with him being constantly out saying things, answering questions that could get him into trouble. No one mm-hmm. could get himself into more trouble than President Trump. And yet this week or this past week, they've seen a gigantic surge to get the president in front of more people more often in a way that's kind of uncontrollable. It's one thing if you were going to go on Fox and Friends or Sean Hannity, but he sat for an interview with Chris Wallace, who I think is a fucking master at what he does. And the interview that he, Mm -hmm. he sat down with the president, I think was the best interview I've seen of Donald Trump since he's been in office. And it was so well prepared and so well researched. And he really pushed the president in a way that no one has pushed the president. And he came with facts and numbers. And you saw the president for what he really is in that instance. And that's someone who is uncurious, unintellectual, unfit for the duties of his office. And just sort of like someone who just so obviously does not rise to this moment 
And then you saw the the press briefings about, about the coronavirus resume this week for the first time. And then you see this interview, another interview on Fox News about his his mental fitness and it feels like do you not know who your candidate is like get this man off television get him out of the briefing room if you want to win this election but the briefing room brought my favorite moment of the week it's a moment that is so inexplicable i guess it's explicable it's crazy but i but i understand it so a again new york post come come comes through sends a reporter to the briefing room and the reporter asks a question about Ghislaine Maxwell, who was Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, who was alleged to have um, abused young girls uh, alongside Jeffrey Epstein over the years. Uh, and she was and arrested. recruiting them. Recruiting, grooming, involved in the abuse. Just simply awful stomach-turning allegations against her. She was arrested earlier this summer. And it's being held in advance of her trial, which won't take place until next July, July of 2021. And there's been so much speculation about what she knows, what evidence there is about what she knows, and whether she will not provide either of those two things to prosecutors. It's a really long time between when she was arrested and and when she will go to, to trial. And that has led many to believe that she would be more likely to cooperate and to name names if there are names that she knows of to name and evidence to back that up because she's being held in, in prison without bail uh, in advance of the trial. Those are conditions that usually lead people to cooperate. Uh, I don't know if if the government wants her to cooperate. I don't know if she wants to cooperate. And I don't know if there's any evidence to, to back up anything that she could provide prosecutors, which is a huge thing, particularly as some of these things may have happened years or decades ago. So anyway, she's in prison. Well, it, it could, it, yeah, it could end up providing uh, unbelievable fireworks this fall. Ab- absolutely. Uh, what is fascinating is that that the president was asked in a briefing room what do you think about this and the possibility that she could name well-known, high-powered individuals if she does, in fact, cooperate with prosecutors? Great question. Great question. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see it. And the president responded in a way that was... I, I, I literally screamed when I heard his response. My, my poor fiancé, <laughs> like, ran in from the other room. And he said, I wish her well... I've known her for many years because we both live in Palm Beach. I wish her well. This is someone who has been accused by his own Justice Department of a sexually abusing and recruiting young girls. And he is wishing her well. Now, that's insane, A. But B, it has led many to say that he was signaling to her, don't cooperate over the next year as you prepare for your trial, because there will be someone who's wishing you well in the White House. And what does that person in the White House who's wishing you well have the power to do but to commute mm-hmm. any sentence? Now, none of that would matter if he loses the reelect. But if he does not... Hashtag re- Roger Stone. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was it was so crazy, so sickening to me. And the president, for the first time, had had publicly said wear a mask and actually sort of seriously taken um, 
he had sort of started to take seriously um, the things that he should have taken seriously six months ago in the briefing that day. And I didn't give a shit about anything he said in that room after he, he said that he wished this this woman well. It's so disgusting. It's depraved. It's maybe one of the lowest moments for me of his entire administration. But it just like, it just is, and if you look at it purely politically, it is insane to me to have made that statement leading up to an election where you already are having a, a problem with women in this country. And, and it caused a cascade of old photographs to come down my social media feeds of Trump with Jeffrey Epstein and this woman and other people in these party scenarios that look awfully terrible, <laughs> you know, awfully uh, incriminating just by, and I, you know, this is all alleged, you know, let's be fair. Sure. But he, he was directly in this, in this orbit. And he admitted that he, he literally said earlier this week, I've known her for years. I, I, I don't know why in your, in your brain, if, if, if you want to wish this woman well, that's sick, but go on with your sickness and do what you want to do. But to just to to bring to the forefront that you have known this woman for years and that you socialize with her. Who would tell their their client or their candidate that that's a good idea? It's crazy. Well, I don't think they told him anything, right? He just <laughs> is spouting off. What I mean, we know now moment. he's sort of like a, uh, you know, toxic stream of consciousness, just sort of barfing up one ridiculous thing after another. And I think in the past, people believed he, you know, yeah, okay, he's shooting in all directions, but he's got some kind of magical gut for hitting this electorate and keeping these people on. I think that's gone. I don't think he's got the touch, whatever that touch was before, except for just keep throwing, as we said, these same greatest hits at at this one core group and trying to hang on to them. And then what's on the other side of that? Uh, I mean, what else can he do to supplement that? We fear election interference or things on the margins that will eke, eke it up past, you know, the core base to get him over the line. And, you know, I uh, this is where a lot of people I talk to, uh, you know, I, I try to be optimistic. I tell people, listen, you know, uh, Joe Biden can win this thing. And they're like, yeah, but afterwards, you know, Trump's going to deny it. He's going to resist. He's going to figure out a way, right? And there's that paranoia. We Mm -hmm. talked about that last week. Mm -hmm. Do you worry about that? Michael Cohen actually always used to say that Trump won't leave, leave office. But I think that everyone else who I've talked to has said that, like, he will be so angry and ashamed that that he will just sort of skulk away, slip away. I keep thinking about, remember when he did that rally in the pandemic that was very poorly attended and there were all these photos of how poorly attended it was and all these empty seats. And I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if any of our listeners saw this. And if you didn't, go watch it because it was one of the, it was really just a, a really striking image, a really striking video. The president is getting off a of Marine One, and he's walking back to the residence of the White House. And his tie is, 
either off or undone and his makeup is sort of like sweating off his face and he looks fucking mad he just looks yeah. like you popped Humiliated. all the air out of his balloon and you have this like rubbery deflated balloon walking back to the east That's wing right. And the, his face at that moment where he couldn't quite make eye contact with the cameraman, he, he could barely contain the rage within him. That, I think, is the image that we're going to see if he loses in November. Yeah. It's not going to be he someone who's to clinging me, to the office. It's going to be someone no, who is just he looked just like a mad. wounded little boy. Yeah. He looked like a wounded little boy. I also think he hates this job. And... It's very clear to me when you see him starting to attack Fox News um, and he's been attacking the media throughout his tenure in office, he's going to start a media company. Like it's not it's not unclear to me that this the groundwork is being laid for this. I mean, initially, when everyone thought he was going to lose in 2016, Jared Kushner was sort of leading this charge to start Trump news. This was no, no secret. We've known about this. The plans obviously changed when he shocked everyone and won in 2016. But if he loses, as everyone thought he was going to lose the first time around, then they're going to start Trump news and he's going to have a very aggrieved portion of this country who all they want is to listen to him. And so I I don't know. I'm not in the president's head. But if you, if I had to guess beyond like the the wounded egoness of it all, he would prefer that outcome to not have to have this job to start a very lucrative, popular news network that he was allowed to use to say anything he wanted and to cash big checks and to feel popular and to have his ego stroked rather than to be criticized and critiqued and losing money in the way that he has over the last four years. That's just my thought that he would ultimately prefer to lose than to I win. think that you're right. I think you're right. I also uh, think, though, that when he is also a loser, that a significant portion of that base that he has held is going to peel away. Sure. And, you know, some of them are just tribal Republicans who are voting for him while holding their nose. I think there's quite a lot of them who hold their nose with him. And when they don't have to hold their nose anymore and they can just back some other, you know, standard issue Republican, that they will. And that whatever he ends up creating afterwards, I don't think will have as much political power as Mm -hmm. one might assume. This is Inside the Hive. Joe, I have an idea for your, you did a a tremendous interview last week um that was all about the lincoln project i feel like the lincoln project should make ads talking about how successful trump could be in making trump news (laughs) we know that the the president is obsessed with the lincoln project He, he hears about it all the time he asks for reports about what they're doing and to see their advertisements they should they should double down on on how great life could be if he does not win re-election that's just my i think that's a very lovely idea and as we learned last week from john weaver who was one of the co-founders of that uh, they have people in the trump administration advising him advising them Mm -hmm. i should say Um, they are plugged into 
Trump's psychology in a way that is self-evident from these ads. And I think that's a, a you know, I'll... I'll uh, Send it you know, to the uh, top. Maybe, maybe, yeah, John Weaver, can he can listen to this. Now, next week, uh, I'm going to be talking to, and this is related, to uh, Stuart Stevens, the former Republican uh, strategist and campaign manager for Mitt Romney, who has got a new book out where he is, it's a big mea culpa about having been a part of this party and tried to advocate for this party uh, that he now... Uh, claims and acknowledges uh, has been a racist party all along, but mm. you know now it's the animating force of it. I'm a little skeptical, I'll say, uh, that they didn't already know this. Sure, but you know now they're sort of like, listen, we can't, we can't hang on to this. So he's going to be a fascinating guy, very smart guy. Last time I talked to him, it was about the art of negative campaigning, mm. right? Because these guys are like, the dark arts are their uh, kind of specialty. Right. And negative campaigning is obviously what the Lincoln Project is sure. turning out to be incredibly good at. So that's I what's can't wait to hear. Week. I guess if, if our listeners have any questions, they can tweet you. Right. Please. I'm yeah, blowing up your me. mentions. Joe Hagen by says. That. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll throw it to Stuart and, you know, we'll we'll ask some hard questions, too. Let's you know, let's not accept this mea culpa without a few questions. I couldn't agree and, more. Joe, before uh, before we we wrap up. Uh, and before we we sort of point everyone toward next week, I'm wondering. I'm looking at you in your house. Um, Here I am. You have an amazing bookshelf behind you. What is keeping you going during quarantine at this point? What did you say? 130 days into quarantine. Oh God. You know, um, I am reading. Uh, there's a book by. Uh, I want to say her name is Susanna Moore. Uh, who? Sus, yeah, Susanna Moore. Um, her book, uh, Miss Aluminum, is a book that I've been reading. It's about, uh, you know, she was sort of a model and actress and kind of traveled in the 70s L.A. Uh, world and has this kind of um, really uh, involving uh, personal history. Mm. So, you know... I. As a lot of us do, I imagine, um, we're escaping when we can into alternate realities, and often sure. many of them are in the past. <laughs> the past is the great escape, right? I so, um, that's do you how mostly I'm keeping, read? Do you uh, mostly read nonfiction? I do, although uh, you know there was a um, a uh, review in the New York Times by uh, A.O. Scott. Mm about the the writer Wallace Stegner. Yes. Uh, who's a novelist. I uh, was reading him. Uh, you know, I'm I'm like the guy that has like a stack of books uh, next to the bed and I read like three chapters and then I rotate to the next book, read three chapters, and then I cycle through like five of them. It's like a book buffet. Uh, as I go. It's I like a book that. buffet. I like that. How about you? Well, I mostly read fiction because I feel like I need a brain break from all of the unbelievable things that happen in our real world. Mm -hmm. But I will mm -hmm. say I've never listened to an audiobook before until recently. And I started listening to um, books when I'm running sometimes. I listened to Jessica Simpson's book. Did you did you read it? You told me about, did I this, tell you about and this. My interest is peaked. Tell me. I loved it. Every day I wish that I hadn't finished it. I wish I could could listen to it with fresh ears again. <laughs> it's excellent. I highly recommend it. Very juicy, emotional. I just I just devoured it and I loved it. 
that's been my big revelation. I'm having a hard time reading right now. I think that there's so much heaviness These in the are world hard times to read. that I'm having a hard mm, time. Yeah. But I, I will say that book was excellent. And the thing that I am most um, excited that's really keeping me going is our garden is starting to really pop here. And so we have mm, grapes yeah. on a grapevine. We have tomatoes and shishito peppers and uh, zucchini that are coming in and some cucumber and lettuce and kale. And my personal favorite is... Um, we just have more roses and lavender than I could know what to do with. And having something from the earth and being able to, to eat it or put it in our house is just such a, a joy. If you can do something in nature, I highly recommend it. You know, we have a garden here, similar bounty coming into the house. It's summer. There are all these wonderful, beautiful things about summer. Mm. And it's it's good to remember the essential things as you know, you've been waylaid by your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed, and you're sort of weighted down in a kind of toxic horror show of our modern uh, times. Mm. It's good to turn it off, take a walk. You take your your beautiful dog, uh, Babs, out for a walk. Smell the roses, smell the flowers, pick your tomatoes, you know, unplug, and don't forget what matters. And... Uh, we're going to talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Thanks to my co-host, Joe Hagen. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe and listen to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors. Please support them any way you support this podcast. We'll see you next week. 